Catherine's mere existence reminded her of her attacker, gave Ethel goosebumps. Ethel nodded. Oh, I'll do as you say, but I'm sure there's no need for us to actually leave the ship. Minutes later, Meyer, with Catherine in her arms and walking at a fast pace, led the way up to the boat deck and into the chill April night. I thought that the allotted space for third-class passengers was the poop deck. Ethel offered, out of breath. That's as may be, but it's not where the lifeboats are, Meyer told her. The speed at which Meyer had alerted them, and the way she cleverly circumnavigated her way past the poop and the well deck, meant they made it onto the boat deck at around 12.30. Captain Smith, the ship's captain, had only just given the order to load the lifeboats, women and children first, and although the deck was beginning to fill up with the first-class passengers, Meyer, Ethel and Catherine were among the first in line for lifeboat number 10, situated port side. Crew members were busy handing out life jackets and instructing everyone to put them on. Meyer held a sleeping Catherine close to her. It was freezing cold on deck, and she folded her own coat around the child for added warmth. Ethel frantically struggled with her life jacket, eventually having to be helped by a young crew member. "'Would you like me to assist you with yours, miss?' the young man asked, holding out a life jacket to Meyer. She didn't answer, her eyes transfixed, staring into the blackness and out to sea. "'No, my daughter-in-law's fine at the moment,' Ethel interjected. "'If you like, I can take charge of hers. I'll make sure she puts it on later. Over the years, Ethel had grown to love Meyer and was proud to call her daughter-in-law. The fact that she and Ethel's son Frank were not yet married made no difference at all, although, if the truth be known, with all that Meyer had been through during her short life, Ethel secretly feared for the girl's mental health. As the crewman handed Ethel the extra life jacket, he managed a forced smile. I'm sure it's just a precaution, he said. Meyer's whole body stiffened with fear. The lifeboats looked so small, the drop to the sea below so vast. What if the lifeboat toppled and they all fell out? She couldn't swim, and she didn't want to die. Oh, why wasn't Frank there to protect her? Why had she been so eager to leave Wales and make this trip? The situation she found herself in filled her with fearful anxiety, so different from the excitement she'd felt the morning the letter arrived from her stepsister, Rhiannon Hughes, a celebrated musical star presently on tour in America. Oh, Ethel, you'll never believe it! Meyer had squealed with excitement when she read the letter over breakfast at John Jenkins' comfortable house in Ponty. It was a small mining village in South Wales, where she, Frank and Catherine lived with Frank's mum, stepfather and two younger sisters. "'What is it?' Ethel asked. "'Rhiannon's due to appear at the Colonial Theatre in New York.' and she wants me to go out with Frank and, and spend a month with her and guess at the Plaza Hotel on Fifth Avenue. Well, I never. New York, you see? Yes, Ethel, 
Apparently, she's already contacted the shipping company and booked our passage. She says, I'm to think of it as a belated present for my 17th birthday in January. All we need to do is send the company our personal details to confirm the person's travelling. Oh, there's exciting. When's it booked for, then? John Jenkins asked. Oh, not until early April, so there's plenty of time to get passports organised. She expects you to stay for a month, you say? Ethel pulled a face. Yes, that's right. Well, why the face? You don't mind us going, do you? No, of course I don't. It's just that I can't see Frank being able to up and leave his regiment for that length of time, can you? Oh, I hadn't considered that. I don't suppose Rhiannon did either, Meyer confessed. It would be awful if we had to turn down this wonderful chance to travel to America. I'm sure he